Are you enjoying fall yet? You know, it dawned on me this last week, not, not so much yesterday, because it was colder yesterday, but, you know, typical fall weather in Missouri is kind of like average San Diego weather. <laughs> and I, people always say, why'd you move from San Diego? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, there's, you know, a lot to it, a family and a lot of good reasons. But, but when we think about just the weather, you know, a little bit of overcast haze in the morning, and then it, it's a little cool, and then gets warm in the, in the afternoons, and then the nights are cool. That's, that's pretty much San Diego almost every day. So, but yeah, I love fall. I can't, I can't wait for it. I hope it's a long one. You know how we do here in Missouri. We hope it's long and the winter's short, right? That's what we all hope for. So we'll see how that happens. Hey, has anybody uh, noticed that there's an election coming? <laughs> you know what's funny is, um, and, and I know they do it every year, but there's all these organizations trying to get you to register to vote. I mean, it pops up on everything. Every social media platform, it pops up every time, you know, and I keep thinking, I'm gonna, if I X that out, they won't bug me again about it. I'm already, I already took care of that. It's already done. But, you know, it's everywhere. Boom, boom, boom. And it's, it, you're getting it from uh, politicians, of course. That makes sense. Getting it from singers and, and actors and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and it's everywhere. So if you didn't know, there's an election coming up right about one month. And it couldn't come quick, quick enough for me. I just, it's just so much. It's like crazy. But let me just say this, and, and voting is, is essential, it's important. And I know, I know Christians who have an attitude like we're going to check out of society or check out of all this, I want to encourage you not to do that. I remember, I was talking to some people this morning, and I've talked to them in the past, but I was talking to them this morning, I remember the first election I could vote in. I, I, uh, my birthday is today, and uh, my parents, I guess, sent me, they, get, they had a choice to send me a little early to school, so I graduated when I was 17 from high school. Went to college, so I was already in college with Cal Poly Pomona up in the L.A. area when I turned 18. So I drove back down to San Diego to vote because it meant that much to me. The opportunity to vote in a national election for president. I got to vote for President Reagan, his first election, and that was a big deal to me. And an honor and something that I wanted to participate in. I was asking some people if you remembered who you voted for first. You guys remember that? Anybody? Can you shout out some names here? Who, who Carolyn? Reagan? Okay, okay. Bush, Nixon, I hear some of that. Anybody go back far enough as Eisenhower? <laughs> I know you're in the house because I already talked to you. Because we do have some, I don't even know what the proper turn is. I know what an octogenarian, but we have, what, is, what do you call someone who's in their 90s? We actually have incredible people here that are so healthy in their 90s. So, so some of them voted for, um, for Eisenhower, and, and one probably actually for Roosevelt, maybe in his third term. So it's an amazing, isn't it? Think about that, how much this matters. It matters. You know what's shocking to me? How many elections, up and down the ticket, are actually decided on very small margins? Entire histories are changed based on who shows up to vote or not vote. It really, really, really matters. You know, I think about, uh, you know, Vicki's here, and she's running for office um, here locally, and, and her election could be decided in just in, in hundreds of votes. I mean, that's... That's an amazing thing to, to affect our lives in the way that elections, modern elections, affect us. It is huge. It's huge. I think about, too, how uh, people do not vote. In 2016, that election, they estimate that 97 million people who are eligible to vote did not vote. 97 million. Does that blow your mind? It blows my mind. Why would you not why would you not have a say in what happens in our world and in our country like that? I just don't get it. And, and I, I'm not trying to insult anybody who maybe here didn't vote, but this is interesting to me. 
That's not unusual. To me, that number sounds ridiculous, but it's not unusual. If you go back over history, 55 to 60 percent of the eligible voters do not vote in most national elections. That's hard to believe for me. And maybe because we live in a country where things are mostly good, you don't have a lot to complain about, so it's, maybe it's not like life and death and you feel like it's okay to you know, let it slide, or, or maybe you don't care for the, the people running and it's like the worst of, of two evils, so you're just not going to vote. I get, I get all that rationale. But here's something else that, that amazes me. Christians, now the, the statistics I got were for 2012, so this is going back a ways, but 13 million were not even registered. 13 million Christians were not even registered. 26 million who were registered did not vote. That's 39 million. 39 million Christians didn't vote in 2012. It blows my mind. People, you need to vote. And, and obviously this year, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around and you hear about the irregularities. You know, we always joke about, you know, my uncle passed away, but he voted twice this year. You know, that kind of thing. And I get that. You know, a lot of times we kid about that, but, you know, those things are scary. You think about all the ballots being mailed and, and on and on and on. I just, I want you to pray for a fair election. That's my heart. And I, I want to see that happen. So pray for that. Pray, 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 pray. I realize, too, a lot of people have already made up their minds. And they're made up even before the candidates we know. Because it base, it's, they, a lot of people base it on values. So if they, they're, they're going to vote for a pro-life ticket. I get that. Some people vote party straight up and down. I understand that. Some people vote uh, personality. Or maybe it's an identity thing where it's, they look like you. Maybe it's the ethnicity or maybe it's the gender. I, I understand that. Uh, some people vote based on the, and right now we're in a huge Supreme Court issue, and that matters. The President of the United States nominates the Supreme Court. Then the Supreme Court decides decisions that affect our lives in momentous ways. If you haven't been following this, you need to understand how important this is. I mean, it's, it's shocking how many decisions that affect all things, you know, from our First Amendment rights to our, our uh, free assembly rights, which, you know, expressing your, your faith rights. Um, all these things come down a lot of times to 5-4 decisions. It's huge, 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 huge. So who, you do, who do you vote for? I'm not asking really. That's rhetorical. <laughs> but just asking that rhetorically. So think inside your mind. Use your inside your mind voice. Um, do you vote based on personality, or is it on policies, or is it on values? What do you vote for? How do you, wait, I'm not, I'm in your mind, in your mind. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard that inside voice thing. I remember, I, I, I will never forget, I think it was at a, at a McDonald's that I remember these kids were just being really loud, and the mom's like, inside voices, you know, <laughs> she wasn't using her inside voice, but I, I never had heard that up until then, like, oh, that's a, okay, I get that, that's a thing. I don't know how you're deciding who you vote for, but I'm just asking you to vote, to pray about it and vote, and then hold your breath, because it's going to be a crazy month. Having said all that, I want you to understand this, and I quoted this, I think it was Priscilla Shire who I first heard say, first heard say this, she said, the Messiah is not going to come riding a donkey or an or a, uh, elephant. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. Does it matter a lot? Yes, yes. Is this election probably the most important in our lifetime? I know people say that a lot, but, but you know, it, it can be that way. Do I think it's crucial you vote? Yes. But are you voting for the Messiah? No. In fact, I was talking with somebody today, you know, who knows what's going to happen with all this. But regardless, Christ is coming again, 
and he is coming. And, and, and if things go, you know, horrible, he's probably coming sooner. And so as Christians, you know, I don't want anybody to be worried or scared. I think what we need to do is be praying. And if you feel a sense of anxiety and anxiousness, pray more. Pray for this because it matters. It's so, so, so important. But let's do this for a minute. If you were going to vote, you know who I want you to vote for? I do want you to vote for Jesus. And here's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a candidate. I'm not. I'm not even talking about that. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. Of course it matters. Vote. You have to do this. But what I'm saying is there's something more important and more at stake always. I really believe this too. You know, I was talking with somebody about the fact that this appears to be in some ways a falling away of Christians from church. And I'm not just talking about people coming into the building. I'm not talking about that. But I do think at those times, Christ is looking to bring in a wave of new believers. A wave of new believers. And what do you call that? We call that revival. And I know revival has different names in different societies. And being a Pentecostal church, a lot of times we associate that with Pentecost. But what I want you to understand is the whole point of Pentecost was to get people saved. People to go to heaven. There's something more important than an election coming. And it's the eternal destiny of millions and millions of people. Eternal destiny. Let's think about the cultural setting when Jesus came to the earth. When he came, it's, it's so fascinating to think. And if you've done any study on this, and maybe you're a history person like, like me, but the Middle East was, was really just a crossways, a pathway for huge empires to tromp through for centuries and centuries. Starting with the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Greeks. It wasn't really an important place geopolitically. And then when Rome occupied, you, if you look at the histories, they had a lot of problems with Israel. The Jews were a, a thorn in their flesh. They wouldn't follow all the rules, and they were difficult to deal with. And, and so a lot of times, like a lot of cultures, Rome would put different Jewish people into positions of power and basically say, get your people under control. The whole thing about Herod being king, he was appointed king. So when the king of the Jews was announced by the wise men to Herod, of course they went to Herod and said, who is the one that's going to be born king of the Jews? And Herod knew that his position was granted to him, and he was not popular. That's why he built the temple. He did all these things to try to, to buy their loyalty, and he heard there was another king. That's why he was so threatened by that. So Jesus comes on the scene, and what were they looking for? They were looking for a Messiah that was going to change everything because the culture was not going the way they thought. The culture was not super religious. There was all this ideas very similar to our own day where people would make up their own rules and make up their own values. There was conflicting religions. You still had the Greek and now the Roman gods were still preeminent. You were supposed to worship the emperor. All these things were in conflict. And Jesus comes on the scene and they thought, finally, we're going to be free of Roman occupation. Finally, we're going to be free of all this torment, <clears throat> all these rules. It's funny, I've heard they're going to get another mandate from Jackson County. Have you guys heard that? <laughs> and it's funny to me because at first when those came out, I was just so bugged. And now I'm kind of like, you know what? <laughs> That's nothing. It's, it's nothing. Think about what these guys were dealing with. What they were dealing with was so much more momentous than what we deal with. And, and all things in context, I think it's important, but it's so crazy. They had no personal rights, no freedom of speech, no redress with the government. They had none of that. 
And what they were expecting was a political leader who was going to come and overthrow. They were expecting a military leader to overthrow. They wanted to be returned to their former grandeur, the splendor that was thousands of years in their history. Maybe all the way back to David and Solomon where they were respected and everybody looked to Israel for the the prophet king, the philosopher king. And Jesus wasn't doing that. That's not what he came for. He came for a spiritual overthrow. And my word to you this morning is he still comes for that. He still comes for a spiritual overthrow. No matter how you vote, you're not going to vote the Messiah into office. That's not going to happen. It's not even the point. We're not looking for a spiritual leader in the offices that we, we vote for. What we're looking for is a spiritual leader in your heart, and that will never change. And the fact is, no matter how you vote, if the hearts aren't changed, then the society is not going to change. How did the Christian faith overturn the Roman Empire? It didn't overturn it because of status. It didn't overturn it because of power. They had none of that. They had no position, no status, nothing. What they did is they changed it house to house and block to block and person to person and values changed. Instead of leaving babies out to die just abandoned on the street, the Christians took them in. That changed everything. Instead of women being abandoned because a husband died and she had no way to support herself, widows and orphans were cared for. That changed everything. It was a values change that changed from the inside out. And when Jesus came, he came to save sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. He said oftentimes, I came to the sick, not those who think they have it all together already. He came to rearrange our entire value system from top to bottom. And he still comes for the same reason today. He had a mission and he was set to fulfill his mission And he wasn't going to be sidetracked. At different times, it says in the scriptures, the the eyewitness accounts say that the crowds were surrounding him and they wanted to lift him up and and maybe put him on a pedestal as, as some kind of a leader. And what he would do is drift away out of those crowds and disappear. He was not going to allow them to turn his mission into a political one because that's not what he was here for. He was here for a a righteous and spiritual one. Let's take a look at this mission that he had and the way he passed it on to his followers who then pass it on to us. A lot of times we look at one of these scriptures in this passage, and I've told you this many times, never read a Bible verse, which sounds crazy for a pastor to say. Just don't read one. Read it in context. Find out where it fit and why he said what he said. So if we look in the book of Acts, this is Luke, the good doctor who accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. He went and researched everything. In fact, in the introduction to this book, just a few verses before, he, he, he dedicates this to somebody. We don't even know all the history behind it, but we know. He says, oh, most excellent Theophilus, I am writing this to fill in all the details about your faith. So as part of his research, he records this in verse number six of, of Acts. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They still weren't getting it. Jesus had already raised from the dead and they're still not getting it. Do you see this? It's no wonder to me that Christians today don't get it. We get, we, we get so fixated on other things and it's not like they're not important. I spent the first half of the sermon telling you how important it is. It's important, but not as important as this. And Jesus brushes that aside, and what he answers is, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. They're not for you to know. But 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. (laughs) They had no idea what was in store. None. Zero. But what he was telling him is, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, he will give you the power to witness like this. And where were they going to witness? They were going to start right at home and then go out from there. Right at home where they were. We are having a worship and praise night tonight. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be. It's a gift God offers and it gives you power for witnessing. I want to encourage you to come tonight. We have specifically set aside time and prayer for that specifically tonight. If you are interested, curious, come tonight. We'll pray with you. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, can you imagine what was going on through their minds? They were just asking him, okay, are you going to overthrow the government now? I mean, you raised from the dead. What could you not do? I'm sure that what they're thinking is now we got a big superhero, right? Some supernatural demigod who's now going to take over everything. And now he's floating up into heaven? Wait a minute. You didn't finish down here. I thought you were going to fix everything. And he gave them a mission they couldn't have, couldn't have even begin to grasp at that point. And suddenly, white, two white-robed ma- uh, men stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. And then, and then in the book of Matthew, there's another eyewitness account. At the end of Jesus' life, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How do you do the mission? I guarantee you, as they're standing here, I wonder, I wish we had some insight into the conversation after Jesus disappeared and the angels disappeared. I mean, what would you have done? You'd be like, did, did you see that? Did you see what I saw? Because this is what I saw. Did you see that? I mean, seriously. You just saw Jesus float up into heaven and two angels appear. <laughs> they had to be just like, what is going on? What are we supposed to do? Well, he said to go wait and then the Holy Spirit. Well, let's go wait, I guess. Right? And here we are 2,000 years later and we are the inheritors of this mission. And what are we doing with it? What are you doing with it? If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm not, I, I, I say this as a, maybe a prophetic challenge to you. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? I Look, I'm, I'm Pentecostal, speaking tongues every day. But it's not just for us. It's not just for you to be encouraged. Yes, it encourages you. But when, when Jesus literally said... After you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will have power to be my witnesses. And we are not witnessing. We're not fulfilling the mission. I know. I I get it. Believe me, I get it. We'd rather someone else do it, right? So here's some things to remember. God does not give you a mission and then expect you to do it alone. He doesn't expect you to do it alone. And then he doesn't give you a mission and not give you the ability to do it. Because I guarantee you, someone out here sitting here like, kind of like me, and maybe you're thinking, I know people who are really good at this. I, I feel like there's a lot of times where I go to share my faith and it, do, it falls flat or it doesn't work. And then other friends of mine, I know them, they, 
They can talk to anybody, and it's like they're sharing their faith, and people are accepting Christ just like that. And maybe for you, you're thinking, I don't even know what to say, and I'm an introvert, and it's just different for me. I get all that, but we still have the same mission. And God doesn't send you somewhere to do it alone, and he doesn't send you to do something without giving you the strength to do it. He doesn't expect you to do it on your own. And here's something else. He's already at work doing it. He doesn't say, go do this, and I'm over here and checked out. He's, and maybe you've had different kind of bosses, I don't know, but he's the kind of boss that gets dirty right there with you. He's actually ahead of you working on it, and you don't even know it. He actually cares more about the people who, you, who are lost for you to share with than you do. He actually knows their life inside out. He died for them. He loves them as much as he loves you. I almost said more than he loves you, which isn't true. I don't know why I almost said that. But I stopped myself because that's silly. But maybe for you, you need to realize he loves them as much as he loves you. Whoever it is, whoever it is, he's already there. So what's the first thing you need to do? Pray. You need to pray. If you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious even about me saying these things today, then I hope it drives you to prayer. I hope it doesn't drive you to despair or disappointment or guilt. That's not the point. I don't like guilt, and I don't use it as a motivator. I want you to do things because your heart is in it, and God is pulling you to it, and then he's empowering you to do it, and he's already there ahead of you doing it, and all we have to do is walk in his ways that he's laid out for us, and he accomplishes it. It's all about him anyway. He's the one who does it. It's not us. It's not about just being more clever or knowing more things or being able to talk people into things. His heart is for people, and he's working on their hearts now. He's already doing it. When should you pray? Right now. And early and often, just like the voting, early and often. Just kidding. Totally kidding. How about when you're talking to somebody? Have you ever done that? I've been having just a conversation with someone in line somewhere. Just, hi, how are you? And all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, this could be planned by God right now. And I start praying, God, is this, am I supposed to be saying something in particular? And it's not like it always happens. I'm just saying, you need to pray. Pray right then. Ask God to help you fulfill this mission. If you're still in that seat right now, or if you're online watching this, maybe you're on your couch and like, I know he's not talking to me. Right? But you're on a leather couch right now and it's got three. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's talking to you. It's not just for someone else. It's for us. And why do I say that? I say that because he's created each of us for a mission, but it's unique to us. He's not asking you to do what I do or what David North does or anybody else in the room. I'm sorry, Dave. I just saw you sitting there. And it's not like that. He's not saying compare yourself to Ron Kelly or anybody else. What he's saying is, I've got something for you. And there's people that you interact with that only you can reach. You have credibility with them that nobody else has. That's who. It's not that complicated. But you have to be willing to follow through on it. And he's already doing it. He's already there. So let me, just, let me just say this. I know for me a lot of times the goal in my mind that I feel like God is calling me to is to get people to fall on their knees in the aisle at Walmart and be crying 
and accept Jesus. And you know what? I'm good with that happening, actually, because crazier things than that happen at Walmart all the time. I'm good with that. But, but, but let me just tell you this. He doesn't necessarily call us to that every moment. How about a conversation? How about maybe putting a pebble in their shoe and, and if they have a question or a, or a, a conflict with Christianity and you're the one to, to help them see it a different way and to maybe doubt the worldview that they've adopted just a little bit. What if the goal isn't always someone just literally on their knees crying, which you don't have to cry to get saved, I'm not saying that, but what if the goal is for you just to be obedient and have a conversation? Some of you might be like, well, that's it. Yeah, what if that's it? Because remember, you never saw this before, but, or thought of it like this, but we're all actually gardeners. Because you probably sat there and thought, but I'm not an evangelist, and I'm not, that, I'm not that outgoing person that talks to everybody everywhere, and you don't have to be. But here's what we are. We're all gardeners. Paul said it this way. Paul was in this conflict because some people were saying he was better than this other guy, this other teacher named Apollos, and Paul was trying to correct the church in, the, in Corinth at the time, and he's like, Guys, settle down for a second. And here's the way he said it in 1 Corinthians. I planted the seeds in your heart, and Apollos watered it, but it was God that made it grow. (laughs) It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And the one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose, and both are rewarded for their own hard work. You're not always going to do all parts. But I think a lot of times we hesitate because maybe we don't think we know everything to be able to do it all. And what I'm telling you is God just calls you to do what he's calling you to do. And sometimes it's just planting a seed. Sometimes it might be just watering a seed someone else has planted. And then God bless you if you're the one that gets to reap the harvest. That's awesome. But it may not always be that way. And I think if you readjust the idea and realize God's asking you to be faithful, to share what he's giving you, that that's enough and that's good. And that's what it takes. He's the Lord of the harvest. He knows what he's doing. He set it up this way. And he's going to use you with your personality, your gifts, your friends and family. Right? That's not just for telephone advertising. Your friends and family are the ones who you are closest to, who know you best, who you would be, have the most natural connection to share Christ with. It works like that. Your daily encounters. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to reiterate this. What about those divine interruptions? You know how it is. You're going about your day and something happens or somebody starts talking to you and you're like, I was kind of doing something here. But do, do you ever look at how many of Jesus' miracles and, and, and really life-changing conversations were interruptions? Because as the eyewitnesses tell the story about his life, it's not like he set up in the, in the amphitheater and said, come to me, I'm going to tell you things. He was walking somewhere and things happened. Amazing miracles. He was interrupted constantly. And when that happened, he did ministry that we look to and it guides our lives today. A lot of his most famous teachings, in fact, I was thinking about this, that we, we talk a lot about how Jesus was, they were trying to trap him and they said, so what's the greatest commandment? Did he stand there that day? Now, he's God, so he, he saw this coming, I'm sure. But it wasn't like it was a setup. It's like they asked him a question, what's the greatest commandment? And then he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. That defines all of the Christian faith in, in one phrase. 
And it was uh, not a pre-planned sermon. It was an answer to a question. So I say that if, if Jesus' ministry could be characterized by those kind of things, those kind of interruptions, so can your life. So can your life. And when God is calling you to do things, sometimes there are unexpected encounters. Sometimes there are people you know, but maybe you didn't expect to see. I've had those kind of situations where I see somebody and it's completely out of context. You know how it is where you, you normally see them in certain places. Maybe it's at school or maybe it's at work or maybe at church. And then all of a sudden you're out somewhere and you're like, where do I know you from? Oh, yeah. Right? And you wonder, you should wonder, is God doing something here? I know I told you this about this before, but I was meeting a former student right down the hill at First Watch. And I, it was so embarrassing because I'm looking for this, this kid. He's late. And it was a real snowy day. I was worried he was in an accident. I, he wasn't answering my text. So I'm sitting there and I, I'm all wrapped up in that. And, and I'd gotten up a couple times just to look out in the parking lot. And so I'd walked, literally the next table was a neighbor right across the street from me. <laughs> I didn't even recognize him. I walked by him like four times. And then he's like, Dennis? I'm like, yes. And I'm just kind of like, I'm looking right at him. Still though, it's still not clicking. You know, and he goes, I'm, I'm your neighbor, Brian, right across the street. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then it hit me. Why am I seeing him today? Why is he here and not the appointment I had scheduled? And I have to wonder, God, are you doing something here? Is this something you are doing? This, this summer, I, I went to uh, Yellowstone. I'd never been there. Anybody ever been there? Well, who's not been there? You need to go there. It's cool. All right. So, but if you've never been there, even during this time of COVID and people wearing masks, I mean, and all that, but it's still crowded. And if you've never seen Old Faithful, it's something you need to see. You just need to see that. And, and the night before I was going to go to Old Faithful, because I'd seen other things and all that, I, I thought, I'm going to run into that parking lot. I was looking on the map. Okay, there's a store there. I need some ice. And so, big mistake. It was like 7 o'clock at night. It was already getting dark. And the line to get in, it took me 35 minutes just to get into the parking lot. And then the line was still winding around. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to park way over here and walk over there. And then it took me another hour and a half to get out. So I thought... Oh, this is ridiculous. And this is all for Old Faithful, right? And so I, I, I thought, well, if I'm going to see Old Faithful, I'm going to do it. So here's what I, this is just me. I mean, it goes off every, you know, 75 minutes or whatever, 75 to 90 minutes. It doesn't care if it's morning, right? <laughs> right? So I know this is crazy, but I got up at five. You know, it's completely dark. I packed up everything real quiet and got out there. So I get into the parking lot, and this is awesome. So I drove into the same exact parking lot, and there's like seven cars, <laughs> which is awesome because there were thousands. I thought, well, this is perfect. And so I got over there. I got my chair out because, you know, you don't know how long you're going to wait and whatever. And I, they have benches, but I, I got a chair with the back. And so I thought, well, this is cool. And so I walk up, and there was a few people standing around. So I just asked them. I said, do you know when it went off last? And they're like, no, we just got here too. And so because I was just wondering how long, how long it would be. And so literally I start to set my chair down, and it starts sputtering. And I hadn't seen it before. So I turned to somebody, and I said, is it, is it starting or was it, has it done that before? And they're like, no, it's starting, you know. And so it was, I, didn't even, I didn't even open my chair. So I'm standing there and I just like watched it. And it was really cool and took some pictures. And I thought, well, that's cool. I'm done. Right? I mean, I saw it. I'm done. And so I turned around and, and I started walking out. And I had this weird impression like, don't you want some coffee? I mean, like, well, I, it, seriously, I know this sounds weird because I always want coffee. <laughs> and I thought, well, there's probably nothing open. I mean, it's, it's like 6 in the morning. But I, right then, okay, this is, God does this sometimes. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, right? So I'm standing there. 
I literally was having this stupid, weird conversation in my mind, and somebody walks by with a hot cup of coffee, and it's steaming. I'm like, where'd you get that? And they're like, the cafeteria is open. I mean, I didn't think that because there's no cars there. There's nobody there. I mean, I couldn't see anything. So I look over, and there's this big old cafeteria right next to it, and I thought, well, that's okay. So I go over, and I mean, a lot of stuff, I didn't know if stuff was open, you know, the mask thing. So I, I walk in, and, um, and it's open. But then there's all these people waiting in line for something, and then... This is kind of me. I see the kitchen, and I'm like, is that open? And all these people are standing here in line, and they're like, oh, I don't know. Nobody tried that door yet. So if I don't have to wait in line, I'm not waiting in line. So I, I push the door open. Sure enough, it's open. Got my coffee. And uh, to, to go out, you know, because of COVID, they, they send you out a whole nother way. So I ended up out in the, if you've been there before, kind of the viewing area. There's some, you can go out of the cafeteria right into kind of the viewing area. And uh so I walked out there, and there was this guy sitting right over here, clearly Asian. I didn't know where he was from for sure, but I, could, I saw him. He's one guy sitting there, and he's got a little box breakfast, and he's sitting there eating his breakfast. And I walked out, and um, I felt like God saying, you need to talk to him. And I thought, I think that about everybody I see. So, like, really? Because, you know, he's eating his food. He's probably going to be distant and whatever. And so I didn't talk to him. I sat down. And then I kept having this thought, like, you need to talk to him. I thought, why? That's just weird, you know? And so I looked over, and it was one of those weird things where he's looking at me right then. You know how you do that? Like, you glance at somebody, and they're looking right at you, and it's like, I was, anyway. So your eyes meet, which sounds weird. Okay, I, I, our eyes met, and I said, I said, how you doing? And he's like, good. And then he said, where are you from? I thought, oh, wow, he, he wants to talk. So I, I told him, and we started talking. So I'll cut this story short. Um, this guy had come to the United States as an unbeliever. He grew up in tai, Taiwan as a Buddhist. Family's very Buddhist. He came to the United States to a college in uh, Florida, and he joined a group to learn English, which is a, a, a Chinese-speaking Bible study group. And he became a Christian. He graduated from college. He'd been in the U.S. doing a two-year internship. And he was touring the U.S. on his way home. And here's why God had me there. He said. So we start talking. And when he found out I was a pastor, he just, just started gushing about, I'm going home for the first time in six years. And I'm the only Christian. And my mother, I've, I've talked to her. She's open but I just don't know what to expect. And here's what he was worried about. I don't know if I can live for Christ and, and keep my faith because nobody's a Christian I know. And it's so funny because, I mean, what, what, really, what am I going to say that's going to... But, but just the fact, he, he said, God sent you here today to encourage me. So I told him, I will be praying for you. And then I felt like... Uh, I heard this voice like, when? When? When are you going to pray for him? How many times have you said you'll pray for somebody and you mean it, but then it slips your mind? I, years ago, uh, and some of you may have heard of Bill Wilson. I was doing some, in my junior year in college, we went there for a few weeks and did ministry in Brooklyn, New York. And one of the most awkward situations I've ever had is we went to do a baptism at uh, Coney Island Assembly of God Church. They had people getting baptized. He had people. And in the process, 
He just said, I'm so sick and tired of people saying they're going to pray for me because I know they don't, won't. I know you're a good Christian, but you're going to walk away and forget and you won't pray for me. I've never forgot that. And when I heard that voice in my mind, I said, can I pray for you right now? And he, he burst into tears and we prayed and... Um, I've emailed with him a couple times. I, we took a picture in front of Old Faithful and then, because uh, uh, it was about to go off again. And then uh, um, I actually got an email back from him sometime in the night, you know, because he's in Taiwan, and uh, just saying, you know, thank you for not forgetting about me and my faith is strong. And God does those things. If you're looking for it, if you're open to it, he, he will do that. So my prayer for you today, my challenge to you is look for those opportunities. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, I know it can be tough. So you may be wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I talk about Jesus to strangers or to anybody? Number one thing, pray. Pray. Do not forget how important prayer is. Pray for the right words. Pray for the opportunities. Pray for God-ordained appointments that he does. Divine interruptions. Pray for that. And, and I, this could be a powerful thing. Ask people how you can pray for them. When I prayed for him, I said, how can I pray for you? What's, what do you want me to pray for? Because it's funny, you know, there's a lot of times you could, you could ask questions certain ways and you get more of a response than not. There's studies been done on this. Like if, you, if you're teaching a class, for instance, and you say, um, do you have any questions? You, will, you might get some questions. But if you say, what questions do you have? Just the fact that you anticipate questions invites people to ask. Have you ever tried to pass out tracks? And you say, do you want one of these? Well, nobody wants anything from a stranger. <laughs> Their answer is no. If I just hand it to them, here you go. Did you get one? Boom, they take them. It's weird. But that's how human nature is. So rather than saying, can I pray for you? Say, what can I pray for you? It's amazing the difference that makes, just the way you say that. And I guarantee you this, even if they don't believe in prayer or God, most people are desperate for something, and they need something, and they're willing to give it a shot. And that alone can be a huge witness. And I know, again, I'm asking you to do something that's maybe super awkward. Like, would you dare pray in public for somebody? Can we be honest? There's weirder stuff happening all the time than that. I mean, seriously, really? Is it really that big a deal? Not really. I mean, honestly, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, and I would actually pray right then and there. And, I, well, I was going to joke around about loud or hands on, heads off. I mean, whatever. But y you get the message. Let me, let me say this. I think it's always appropriate, too, to tie current events. Things are happening all the time. The world is changing all the time. This is an incredibly tumultuous time. Pray. I would, I would say this too. Listen to their story. Ask them, do you have any spiritual experience or beliefs? What are your beliefs? And then after you've listened to them, they're open to hearing from you. It works like that. Then you can invite them to hear from you. Real simple. What's your story? What did God do for you? How did he change your life? Maybe you're in a place of desperation, rock bottom. Maybe, maybe you looked at the kind of the world's idea of, of life and, and it just didn't add up to you. How could, how could everything come from chance? That doesn't make any sense. And then somebody shared Christ and the difference it made. Has he made a difference? 
you tell people the difference, it makes a big, big impression. How did you encounter Christ? How has he changed your life? Then the last thing is to just invite them. With your eyes closed for just a minute, I want you to think about this. We live in a new age. For some people, they're acting like, well, will life ever go back to normal? You know, I don't know. But I, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Let's just ride the wave we're in. So if people are watching church online at home, it's not very hard to just invite them to a link of a service here. That's not hard. You can even set up a watch party and watch it together. And, and not even in the same house. They could be watching at their house. It's so easy right now for people to be uh, challenged and confronted with the gospel in ways that are totally, totally different than ever before. With everything crazy going on in the world, people want to talk about it. They're wondering what's going on. Here's my question for you. Has anybody come to your mind? No, that's not the right way to ask it. Who has come to your mind while we've been talking today? Who have we been, as we've been talking, who is it who's come to your mind that you thought, I should have said this to them? Or maybe they'd be open if I said it this way. Or I know God is working on their heart. I just don't know what to do. Who is that? I'm going to challenge you to do this. And I want to invite you again to our worship night tonight. But if somebody's on your mind right now, I want to pray for them. And I want to give this opportunity too. If you're here today, and maybe even online, you could let us know if you've made this decision. But if you're here today and you're thinking, I'm ready to try Jesus. And if you want to try him, if you want to allow him into your life, Lord of your life, change your life. If that's you, just raise your hand for a minute and we would pray with you. Anybody at all. All right, let's do this. As we pray, that person who's on your mind, I just want you to imagine who that is right now as you keep your eyes closed and we'll pray. Father, I pray for the, the brothers and sisters in this room here, for those who are watching online. God, for that person who's on our mind right now, who you love and deeply care about, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the words to say, the opportunity, the boldness to speak out. And God, that you would help us to be able to be the ones to plant or to water or to reap a harvest with them. God, we give ourselves to you and we ask you for help in doing that. We pray that you would open the doors and then you would make it happen. And we trust you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Jim.